Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. Hello and good morning and well, maybe good afternoon, wherever you are. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Market Pulse podcast. My name is Dion Grubin and this is episode 40 the souffle edition. We're going to jump around a few different topics. Well, mostly we're going to be looking at very sort of broad macro stuff as opposed to company news. There was some interesting company stuff out there out there this week, but the the focus will be sort of more on the broader macro economic news. Just like last week, we are also very lucky to have a listener question. So we're going to take a look at that at the very end of the show. But first, as always, we will take a quick snapshot of how the market performed this week. So the ASX 200 finished the week up half a percent, 0.5%. Last week, we said that, that that our benchmark had gone four straight weeks of gains. And this now, of course, makes it a fifth consecutive week of gains. Over in the US, the S&P 500 was up 1.7%. The Nasdaq slightly better up 2.2%. I thought we might be a little bit overdue to reflect on a bit about how the year has been so far for the market. I don't really, I never follow any kind of certain structure of how often I like to zoom back. But every now and again, if you're a regular listener, I like to, I guess, look back on sort of where we're sitting, broadly speaking, from the whole year or across the last 12 months. And that gives you a bit bit better of a bigger picture as opposed to those sort of weekly gains and losses that I always talk about at the start of each uh, episode, like so whether the Aussie market went up or down for the week. Because it's always good to look at it from a broader picture because those weekly ups and downs can mean nothing when you start to zoom out. Actually, we will look at November 1st. This is courtesy of Comsec from their monthly review report that they release every month or at the end of every month. I highlight November because it was very significant. Our market here in Australia had its best monthly performance since 1988, which I think is also just a good point to pause on and say, you know, and, and I guess to think about because of all the clickbait and news headlines and reports that are out there throughout the year, especially in a year like it has been in 2020, can be very doom and gloom a lot of the time. And and that's not to say that they're necessarily wrong, right? So if they, if they report that the market fell 5% this week, that is completely factual. But what I like to remind myself is not to get too caught up in that stuff because, and this becomes a bit of an investor psychology argument because and I've spoken to people before who might be sort of new to investing or maybe not maybe they're not even new but they're they're a certain type of person that's always waiting to invest in the market always waiting for the perfect moment waiting for a crash my experience so far is that you're far better in the market so exposed to the market than sitting on the sidelines sort of waiting for this perfect moment where the clouds part and it all comes together for you and that's because of two reasons. Number one is you have no idea and I have no idea when the perfect moment is going to be. And two, you miss out on months like the month we just finished up on, November, when our market had some big recovery moments. And that is effectively a price that you'd pay if you if you decide to sit on the sidelines, especially if you decide to sell out from positions because of everything going on this year and maybe come back later. There's a price to that. Now, none of what I just said discounts the chance that there is another market turn turn down tomorrow. 
there's always going to be someone that's predicting it's just around the corner, but perhaps it falls 5% tomorrow alone just on Monday when it opens up. But my experience, again, has been not to worry about those hypotheticals. And especially if you're a long-term investor and especially if you're someone who invests in things such as like an exchange-traded fund, like an index fund over the Australian market, you're better off just jumping in and as soon as possible. So let's review November. Like I said, it came from the, from the Compsec monthly review report. So over the month in November, the S&P 500 had gained 10.8%. So that's in the US, the NASDAQ a little bit better, 11.8%. The Australian index or our benchmark, the ASX 200 actually gained 10% over the course of November alone. It's actually its best performance since 1988, it says here. And for the year so far, so year to date, the ASX 200 is down 0.8%. But from the highs that it was at right before COVID, so the peak of the market this year, right before the the decline in in global markets, we're down about 7.4% from that peak. And for context, we were down as much as 36%. So, and as you can see, that's, there's a big difference between being down 7.4% and 36. So a lot of a lot of the recovery has especially happened over the last sort of five months in our local market, where it started to catch back up to where it was before. It's not quite there yet, but it, it's it's getting there. The US is still doing that thing that it does, where the market is just completely defying everything in terms of COVID-19 spread, unemployment, negative GDP, because the S&P 500 is up for the year. It's up around thirteen point five percent for the year, like year to date. Um, but it's it's up about ten percent from the high point it was right before the, the those market declines that I was talking about that sort of ran or started in February and, and ran into March. The Nasdaq one hundred index, even crazier, they're up forty one percent for the year so far, and about well, about twenty eight point nine percent higher from its its peak that it was before those market declines. Now, a lot of the reason why the NASDAQ would be so far, you know, especially compared to the S&P 500, they performed much better than the, the broad S&P 500, is just comes down to what components make up the NASDAQ. So in terms of the biggest companies, like the biggest weighted companies that, that make up the index, Apple is all the way up the top. You've got Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, Facebook, Google. It starts to get into sort of smaller they're not small by any means, but but uh, information technology shares or companies that Nvidia, Adobe, Intel, you have Netflix. One of the reasons why a Nasdaq might be or that they are higher for the year, even though the years we just had, a lot of those companies have kind of defied COVID in in the sense that uh, not all of them, but. Uh, a bunch of them have actually defied COVID in the sense that they've done better this year than than before. Like especially something like an Amazon, like an e-commerce company like that, like one of the, the biggest one in the world. And then some of those technology companies we've talked about have done very well uh, with the lockdown because none of what I just named there, those big weightings in the NASDAQ are the things that have done poorly this year, which is thinking about like travel sector or entertainment sector stocks, which you would find in the broader S&P 500, which would help to to bring it further down. So that gives you a bit of a reference point of where we, I guess where we're all sitting as we near the end of 2020. It's almost over, but 
That's a bit about what the market's been doing this year. Also in news that you might have seen, Australia posted quarterly GDP numbers that they were actually a little bit, the percentage was actually a little bit higher than what was projected. When I say projected, they, they generally have like a, an, a consensus among economists of what they think that the actual GDP numbers will be. And it was a bit higher than that consensus. And the reason it was a bit higher was a certain component of GDP is household consumption. And that was a lot bigger than, than uh, economists actually, I guess, a consensus. Again, we'll say consensus of economists actually projected. Pretty much broadly across all the states, the household consumption figure had increased quite significantly, except for Victoria, because it was the September quarter that this GDP numbers are, even though we're in December right now, this was the September quarter. And that was still kind of like in the thick of the actual lockdown period for Victoria. So expect that when the December quarter GDP numbers come out, which we'll get in, uh, what it was probably going to be February, expect that you'll still see a, a pretty decent showing on like household consumption uh, because Victoria will be coming it is coming out of that lockdown now so that'll be fueling this current quarter that we're in right now. I'm going to quote the ABS here because they know what they're talking about more than me but but also it sort of speaks to what I was just explaining then so quote household spending drove the economy rising 7.9% due to increased spending on both goods and services. Spending on services rose 9.8%, and that's mostly driven by spending on hotels, cafes, restaurants, health, recreation, culture, of course, as restrictions are relaxed across the country, uh, obviously barring Victoria there. Now, it says Victoria's household spending actually fell 1.2%. They were the only state to record a fall. Again, that's because of those restrictions that, that were in place during that September quarter. And no doubt a, lo uh, a lot of this household consumption is there's a couple things sort of behind that or there's these big drives. There's the increase in the savings rate in Australia. So the amount of, I guess, the amount of money that we're putting aside into savings out of our paychecks at the moment, that has that has significantly spiked this year, which is, well, it's very significant, the, the rise in the savings rate, but it, it does tend to happen during periods of uncertainty. But also the government stimuluses would help, would help both us, this, you know, it's in terms of saving money as well. So people on JobKeeper, people on JobSeeker, that would have helped fuel the overall household con uh, consumption numbers that we just saw. Uh, so further quote here from Michael Heath at Bloomberg, gross domestic product advanced 3.3% in the three months through September, exceeding estimates as consumption surged by the most in the 60-year history of the report. The ABS said in Sydney Wednesday, the rebound came after the economy contracted 7% in the second quarter. So remember, we were, again, in the quote-unquote technical recession because we had two quarters of back-to-back -back negative GDP. So that's when you technically go into a recession. Uh, this is bouncing us back out of that point. I think I was listening to, I think it was another podcast where they had listener questions where someone had asked, oh, what's the chances we go into a double dip recession, you know, where you can, where you can go uh, with that bounce back that we just had, you can go back down into a recession, um, of course. And yeah, the answer to that would be just so unknown because if it does keep going like the, on the current trajectory, it seems unlikely in, in the sense that it's, you know, we're, we're starting to 
get better control over coronavirus Australia-wide. Obviously, Victoria's positive news. Uh, vaccines seem on the way. So the only thing that would sort of, in my opinion, at least would send us back into recession it would be, it's too, way too hard for anyone to guess whether this will happen or not, but if there was suddenly another surge in the pandemic in Australia and we, especially eastern seaboard states, went back into a lockdown similar to what Victoria uh, did because that would that would certainly drive those GDP figures down significantly. Uh, the same Bloomberg article I just quoted there before also noted the other sort of big elephant in the room right now for Australia, which is, he said, uh, so this article here from Michael Heath, quote, Australia's benefit during the pandemic from China's stimulus to revive its economy, which has fueled commodity prices. So he's referring there to iron, iron ore exports, which have been very good for Australia this year because the, the iron ore price is so high. That's why you've seen uh, huge share price surges in the likes of companies like Fortescue Metal. But going on, he says, tires have sharp, sharply worsened in Beijing, which takes around 35% of Australian exports in total, uh, has slapped tariffs on imports, refused to take call from ministers. And of course, he references the minister that posted a Australian war crime-related tweet that caused people to get up in arms, of course. So that that relationship, well, that strange relationship is something to obviously keep your eye on. Whether there can be like a true reset of that relationship, maybe they need someone neutral to mediate it, I don't know. But that could certainly affect the, the net export figure that we report in our GDP figures as well. The other thing from a, you know, at least a domestic point of view and sort of staying on the macro theme, there was a statement released from the Reserve Bank. He spoke, uh, the governor actually, Philip Lowe, spoke at the start of the week because there was a decision on interest rates which... No one expected to change and they didn't change. A couple points, that's not what I want to talk about because I don't really no one thought they were going to change anyway, but a couple points worth highlighting here from the statement that was released by the RBA. I've highlighted a few things here from their, for this is just from the RBA's website in their statement. In the RBA's central scenario, and when I say central scenario, so when RBA projects things like where they think GDP will be over the next couple of years, for example, they look at sort of like a worse or a sluggish case scenario, like a worst case scenario, a better than expected case scenario, and then there's sort of like a midpoint. So they always talk, they always generally talk to the midpoint, but they they do tend to project, you know, on either side of that midpoint as well. So I'll go back to that. In the RBA central scenario, it would not be until the end of 2021 that the level of GDP, gross domestic product, reaches the level attained at the end of 2019. So although we're bouncing, although this GDP figure was quite big, it's coming off a big, it's coming off a low, so it was likely to bounce big. It's probably going to have a decent showing next quarter as well, but it's still going to take, at least from the Reserve Bank's point of view, it's still going to take to, to yeah, a year from now to get to the same level it was at the end of 2019. Another point they highlighted, so employment growth was again strong in October, although the unemployment rate increased to 7%, which we talked about on this podcast as more people rejoin the workforce. Interesting, they say they also note that they expect the unemployment rate to decline or continue to decline, but only slowly and still be around 6% at the end of 2022, which is a long time away, so that's two years from now. And there was another one that was highlighted by a lot of people, which... Well, this third point out of the statement from the RBA or from Philip Lowe, 
Uh, for its part, the board, as in the RBA board, will not increase the cash rate until actual inflation is sustainably within the 2 to 3% target range. For this to occur, wages growth will have to be materially higher than it is currently. This will require significant gains in employment and a return to a tight labour market. Given the outlook, the board is not expecting to increase the cash rate for at least three years, which they've kind of signaled that three-year thing already. But I guess what the interesting part about that is they noted that they're not going to increase the cash rate until actual inflation because often, and sometimes this comes with criticism, and it's not just in Australia, but it's in the US as well, there'll be changes in interest rates in anticipation of a thing happening like inflation occurring and it doesn't really occur because the RBA, that whole target band of they would like inflation to be 2 to 3% has been <laughs> effectively, if that is a dartboard, then they've just been missing it all night long at the bar. <laughs> they've been throwing and throwing and throwing and not getting anywhere really near that target range at all. It's been, And that goes back to the wage growth point that he just made. Wage growth has not really been apparent in Australia either as well. I'm not even convinced that we will see inflation at a 2 to 3% target range as policymakers currently stand and the way that they're currently doing things in even three years at this stage. If, it, if it's continued to, to go as it goes at the moment, I'd be, I'd be very surprised if it even gets to 2 to 3% target range. But another thing worth touching on, staying at a macro level but jumping across the ocean to the US, is their jobs numbers that come out. So there was the non-farm payrolls, which they call it, the NFPs. The reason they call it non-farm payrolls is because it's basically their jobs data, like how much jobs they've added for the month, but they exclude people in businesses of agriculture, so farm, obviously. Uh, but local government's also excluded from these numbers. I think just a as a bit of trivia, oh, I'm just kind of making this up, but no, but I think the way I've always learned it too, the reason they're called the non-farm payrolls is because agricultural, well, the agricultural industry, sorry, can be seasonal. So it can, it doesn't make up the vast majority of employment in the US at all, but because it, of its seasonality, it can fluctuate. And so I think they take it out just to get a bit more of a, I guess, a stable figure of the rest of the employment sector of the US. So Anyway, that's going off into the weeds, but basically jobs in November increased by 245,000. Now, why this was in, well, it's always in the news, but why it was important was because this was, we talked about those consensuses again. Um, in this case, Wall Street estimated closer that it should have been 440,000. So it was way below what everyone was kind of expecting, which is a bit of a downer on expectations. I'm just going to quote CNBC here. Jeff Cox is the writer of this report. Quote, in all, the economy has brought back 12.3 million of the 22 million jobs lost in the first two months of the crisis. There are still 10.7 million Americans considered unemployed, compared with 5.8 million in February. The total of permanent job losers remained at 3.7 million in November, but is up from 2.5 million from February. Now, this kind of news is... I guess for the optimists out there has might put a bit of a rocket up Congress to actually get a, to actually pass that US stimulus before the end of the year, or at least before President-elect Biden is sworn in next year in 2021. 
the Financial Times reporting during the week that there seems to be a little bit more hopeful signs in terms of it moving in the right direction for them to sign what looks like to be a $908 billion uh, stimulus plan uh, between the Democrats and the Republicans. But again, my <laughs> my uh, take on all, on the stimulus stuff is always believe it when you see it, but we'll see. It could, could happen. But that is the happenings over there, or at least for the week over in the US. But I'm going to jump to a listener question now. This question here comes from Logan in Brisbane. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, and if you do have questions for the show, this is for everyone else, you can shoot those through to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. But the question here from Logan is, hello, and thank you for the podcast. I'm relatively new to investing and have done a few trades this year. However, I'm still a little bit confused between picking between a limit or market price when going to buy shares. Can you explain this in a little bit more detail? Thanks. Okay, good question. It's hopefully I'll be able to explain this well enough. I, that's kind of it's kind of one of those things that I always used to explain with a whiteboard, which made it a lot easier. But it's relatively simple to understand. Effectively, when you are using whatever platform you're using, I assume you're using some kind of online broker, one of the big ones in Australia, and you search a company. That's well, one we talked. Well, we mentioned Fortescue Metal before. So let's say you looked up Fortescue Metal. And let's say the market's open right now, it'll show you the price right now. And it shows you what it's whether it's gone up or down today and by how many cents and how what percentage and all that kind of stuff. What that's kind of showing you, that price it's showing you at that very second that you've refreshed it, is that that's kind of like I guess that's the market price, but that's the price that the last trade would have went through for. So let's just I don't know what let's just say it's fifteen dollars, okay? Now let's go back to, I guess, more specifically with your questions and we'll, we'll go back to that Fortescue example in, in a moment. When you go to buy shares, you can either select a market order or a, or a limit. Market's the easiest, market order is the easiest one to do. You don't really have to do anything after you select market and all it means is it's going to buy the shares at the market price of that time. This is a very basic type of order. It is also... It also executes very quickly, if not within milliseconds of you pressing the trade. And that's because if it's something that's quite liquid and popular, like a like a big company like a Fortescue that I just said, it will go through straight away because there's always going to be sellers and buyers for this particular stock. So that's a market order is something you would do if you just you were happy to take whatever the current market price is trading at. But what I want to get into a little bit more detail on that is the market, like I said, that market price that's showing is set by whatever the last trade that's gone through is. But when they're, when you're looking at, so again, we're going to use the example of Fortescue, when you're looking at buying stock, there's basically a list of sellers that you're going to buy that from. And the reason I say there's a list is because they're ordered from who's going to sell it for the cheapest all the way to who's going to sell it for the most. And so the, the computer will always go to the cheapest first when you do a market order. But there might not be enough there at that specific price for how much you want to buy, right? So let's say you want to buy 100 Fortescue Metal shares today and you select market price. And the cheapest seller is $15, but they've only got 50 to sell. So what the computer, and this will all happen in the space of less than a second, but the computer will take that 50 for your market trade, but then it will say, okay, yeah, but in this case, Logan, <laughs> you have 
you are chasing 100 shares in Foursquare, so we still need 50 more. So then it goes to the next one up. And the next one, the next person selling Fortescue might actually be selling it at $15.10. So actually a little bit more expensive. I know it's only 10 cents, but this can make a little bit of a difference. So that's that's when you'll see that overall, you would have acquired the shares for $15.05. And that can confuse you because you're like, well, I, I thought when I put the order through, the market price was 15, but the way it eats at the order to try and get all the shares is it starts with the cheapest and it starts to work its way up. And that can that can mean something, if you're put, especially if you're putting in like a big trade where you're going to be picking up shares at different prices. But effectively, market order puts the control with the broker to find you the best price that they can possibly get at that moment for the shares that you're chasing. They will go for the cheapest first, but then they will, if your order's especially big or something, they will then start to look at what the next the next most cheapest is and then the next most cheapest is once they've taken it. And that's why some, sometimes people can get a bit confused when they do a market order because, like I said, they see that the market or, the market price is, say, $15 and they look at their, their contract note, like the legal, the, the contract document that the broker always emails out or whatever, after a trade that shows the price that you picked up the shares for and it can you might have got it for slightly more because the other thing that can happen is because the market moves so quickly is maybe that market price changed within the whilst you were setting up your order and your price it might have changed within that 30 seconds that you were doing that so that gives me to the next one which is limit limit is good i personally always put a limit which is again just a, a preference just because I guess the way the, the way their limit works is suits me and it gives me a bit more control over the price. And that's not because I do huge orders or anything, but specifically I'm happy to, I guess I'm I'm not always like fixated on just the speed of the trade. It depends though. Like I've done market orders before when I've just bought into an index fund because I'm like, I don't really care because it's just a, an index fund ETF and I'm not investing a ton anyway. So I'm happy with this price. But a limit order means that instead of the control being in the broker's hand to just find the cheapest one there and get the best price that they can get for you, limit means you're setting yourself a limit of the maximum you're willing to pay. I'm speaking specifically about buying shares at the moment, but limit is the maximum that you are willing to pay for the shares. So with that Fortescue example that I said, let's like I said, they were, let's in this hypothetical example they're trading around $15 let's say let's say you're someone that actually thinks that because maybe the price has been coming down over the last few weeks and you think you could probably even be a bit more patient you might put a, a Fortescue metal buy order in with a limit of say $14.80 because you think it's going to keep coming down and, and you like the idea of getting it for a bit cheaper now, because the market price at the moment is 15, your order's not going to go through. It's just going to sit there until, well, if, but let's, let's just pretend it does, if the price does go down to $14.80, then your trade will be executed because you've set a limit saying, look, I'm happy to buy these, these shares, but I don't want to pay any more than $14.80. And so the computer will only buy shares with a maximum limit of that $14.80 that you just specified. Now, if the shares of that company don't get down to that level, let's say you're completely wrong about it falling, maybe they start to go up as soon as you put your order into the market. That's fine. It just won't execute. The trade won't execute. 
hopefully that makes a little bit of sense between market order, limit order. Market order is very quick for the most part, goes especially on like a very liquid, uh, like when I say liquid, like uh, it's traded a lot back and forth. So the big ASX 200 companies, for example, are very liquid, especially like the banks and the miners. And, and there's always constantly trading going back and forth between those ones. Uh, if you put a market order for one of those through, it would generally go through very, very quickly. A limit order can be quick, but it just depends on what ceiling you're sort of setting for the price you're willing to pay. It does give you a little bit more control over that, which is a good thing. But it is something that you, let's say you put it at a price where, you know, it's a little bit low or sorry, a little bit below where the market price is at the moment. It might mean that you've got to check it to see if the order's been executed or even partially executed because you could put a limit in and there might be some that it finds at that price, but then it can't find your full order. So it still sits there waiting till it can find the 100 shares that you're chasing, for example, to actually meet that price limit. So there's, I guess what I'm trying to get at too without rambling is there's no wrong or right um, type. I, if, if I would give you any advice, I'd give it a crack at a limit next time as well, just to get an understanding of what it means. Have a look at what, when I talked about how there's a list of buyers and sellers that are in order of, so the sellers are always ranked in who's willing to sell it for the cheapest. They'll, you'll always see that. It's called the market depth whenever you type in the, the stock code. Have a look at that and you'll be able to see how many shares are being offered at a certain price and that will be able to tell you, well, if I put it at that price, then it's going to be accepted because that's that's what I that's exactly what I need or less than what I need. Hopefully that answers your question, Logan. Thank you for writing in. But that is all for the podcast this week. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. This is episode 40. How very exciting. We're almost at 50. Looking forward to next week's episode already. I think I'll jump onto a few of the company news that have taken up or that I've sort of missed over the last couple of weeks. Also, as a bit of a heads up, I think that the podcast will go on pause for a couple of weeks over the Christmas period just because I anticipate I might not have as much time to sort of to work on it during that time. But I'll let you know when that date is or when the last podcast for the year will be. But again, thank you for tuning into episode 40. My name is Dion. Enjoy your week. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers. Cheers.